Hello and welcome. I'm Danny Walker and you are listening to Radio Oedipus. The joy of this podcast has been trying to connect the dots between different worlds within craft beer. After exploring closer to home, the obvious places were to go to America and also to the UK, but by concentrating on these well-travelled roads, you ignore so many other places and possibilities, like Latvia and Labitas, a craft brewery based in Riga that make familiar favourites like IPAs, but also offer more intriguing local styles like Sour Braggots, Meads and Chestnut Box. Today I chat with Reines Piavinj, sorry for the pronunciation any Latvian natives, the co-founder of Labitis, and together with Sander, we talk all about how they experience craft beer. All that on today's Radio Oedipus. But yeah, just to start off, Oedipus and Labitus do go back quite a while, right? How many years or so have you known each other? Is it five or so years? No, I would say even more. I more? think from the we we met for the first time at uh, Boreft. Boreft, 2015? Yeah, 15 okay. or 16, yeah. It was two years in a row, and I think it yeah. were the same two years in a row for both of us. Yeah, yeah. okay. Exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah, so that's so. where the story starts. And then did... Did you appear at one of the Planet Oedipus uh, editions? Or, or? I think we, we went for two of those. Okay, okay. I, I personally went for one of it, uh, but, uh, but uh, my colleague Edgars, uh, who is the head brewer, he, he went for both. Ah, oh, nice. Okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah, Country Coast was also the International Beer Festival or two Planet Oedipus festivals? Um, I don't... Uh, I've been yes. to one Planet Oedipus and... Okay. Uh, and and then I remember you guys, not you personally, but uh, but some other like yeah. uh, Paul and Rick uh, came over for a couple of festivals in Riga, and uh, and we've been drinking around European festivals, yeah, among others. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, and then there was also the collaboration, right? Agritourismo, which I was I was reading about today. You went foraging for pine shoots in the dunes. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we had a good plan, and uh, then spring somehow was miraculously had come earlier in the Netherlands than it had in Latvia, and we collected uh, what I still think pretty overgrown uh, shoots of, <laughs> of pine, and then we uh, went through uh, through the city, and uh, I'm oh look elderflower, yeah that's look awesome, let's put that one in too. So we picked some of that one too, and um, I think the brew uh, the brew aged pretty well. I don't know if you guys uh, dropped some cases for for to see how it uh, how it goes, but uh, I think we still have some 10, 15 bottles left, and I put oh, really? for yeah, and uh, and it ages beautifully, well, like a good season. And uh, nice. I think the pine shoots have backed off a bit, and the elderflower is a bit more forward. But then anyway, a decent brew. I, Cool. I think I, yeah, I, I I contacted a year or so ago with the idea. Probably we can redo it, but uh, somehow with all the all the mess and the plague, this was not on the top of the list, you know. Like no, no, mm. no, no. I would like it. I uh, what I remember of the collaboration was mostly the black sticky fingers from the super <laughs> yeah. resinous <laughs> yeah, shoots yeah. that we were picking, and it was uh, difficult to get off and. 
I also remember that when the beer was young, it was, uh, yeah, I wasn't too happy with the balance that that yeast profile and the shoots and the elderflower didn't really come together as much as it could have maybe. Uh, I would say we would still have a few bottles left here or there. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah would be, uh, yeah, shit, I should have dove into the pile and see what yeah I, uh, me too now that yeah. i'm uh, talking about it i was i'm thinking that, yeah uh, very curious yeah, actually damn, yeah. sure this would be think. the perfect uh occasion Great opportunity yeah. Uh, thanks uh, yeah you know yeah. i was kind of hesitating to send you your own beer back but <laughs> <laughs> yeah a bit of an insult <laughs> yeah okay so that is the only one who actually doesn't know what what we are talking about hence my question yeah. i was just curious i i, I would have liked to have tasted it myself but it looks like that beer was uh, displaying some of the local ingredients that we've got here in the Netherlands, but you've sent some beers that very much look like they're going to display some very typical uh, Latvian flavors. Oh. So you've sent us, I, I am going to attempt to pronounce these, <laughs> Rainus. Okay. So we have uh, Arbenins, Ferdinands, and Plava, right? Oh, yeah, close. Close, go Arbenins, Ferdinands, Plava. Plava, okay. Which one would you like us to start with? Uh, okay, um, I think we will start with uh, with the Piava. Piava, okay, because cool. it's kind of, it's it's kind of a, one of our uh, old recipes. We've been brewing it since like very very beginning. I think brew number six or seven in our brew pub was this beer. Cool, cool. And the name, what does that mean then, Piava? Uh, if you have noticed, then uh, my surname is Pjavinc. Okay, and this yeah. is Pjava, which is uh, Pjava is a meadow, and my surname means a little meadow or demin- diminutive from uh, meadow. Okay, like in uh, meadow, meadowlet. Med- how how do you say it in English? Can you do it in English? Meadow, meadow, yeah. But no, I but don't know. like a, like a, you know a pig and a piglet. Uh, I, I don't know what a small meadow is. I don't. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, that's kind of a handicap language you have there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just not very good at my native tongue. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, great. So is this is this one of your signature beers? Is this one of the more popular it, it, ones? Yeah, it kind of kind of come up uh, comes out like uh, my signature beer because it has uh, both my name it on uh, and the name of the beer is a bit like my surname. Okay, okay. And uh, the idea of the beer is when you drop your face into a full-blossomed meadow in summer and close your eyes to capture that moment like uh, a summer meadow in full blossom. So what we've done, Mm -hmm. we've... uh, It's like a... uh, Probably you can feel it. Uh, It's like a 50-50 wheat and uh, barley malt bill, pretty high final gravity... And uh, quite a lot of herbs like uh, yarrow and meadowsweet. And uh, yeah. to make the beer more normal for for uh, for a contemporary tongue, we've just uh, dry hopped it with uh, Amarillo hops. Mm. And uh, the, the boil bitterness is actually pretty low or it comes from the herbs. And uh, so basically most of the hops uh, go into the mm-hmm. dry hop. I would say that uh, the, the 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 boil hop maybe contributes eight or nine AB, uh, IBUs and like 
it has pretty low IBUs anyway. Oh, okay. You are looking at the that's yeah, the we, third third number from the left. Yeah, and you include all these different statistics on the bottles. I see. Well, that kind of comes uh, because uh, me and Edgar, we come from a homebrewing background, and you yeah. know we you usually measure gravity. You have these Beersmith readings for IBU. You have EBC. You have alcohol, and uh, mm. and at the time when we started, uh, we actually were the I think the first uh, the first craft brewery in Latvia, and and before that it was like uh, if you speak ingredients or color or whatever, like you know the big breweries they don't share too much of information on the labels. No. So we basically put almost a recipe on the label because uh, like uh, we yeah, felt just to so kind of show show this what yeah, this yeah. is what beer is. Yeah, yeah. Bit. We kind of felt so strong that we weren't afraid that anyone would be copying us and. Uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't know what we are doing ourselves, so there was no, <laughs> no no fear of anyone copying us because well we didn't know what we are in the beginning. <laughs> but for most for most people in Latvia, is beer just lager then, or is it what is it something else? Well, it has I think it has changed over the years. This is like our uh, our year eight, mm-hmm. and uh, in the beginning we we were pretty lonely and we were kind of uh, riding that. Uh, counterculture wave and uh, now there are i think uh, after us there have shown up maybe 20 crowd breweries in riga so, or in the whole of latvia well uh, if you have a look at the map then latvia is uh, riga plus a bit <laughs> like uh, there's two million of us and one million will be living in the riga region so Basically, it's for beer, for craft beer, it's Riga, and that's it. Okay. Well, maybe maybe some some new shoots, like we have one bar on the west coast, and uh, which was the first uh, craft beer bar outside Riga. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I would speak if if you speak about craft beer culture, then everything starts and mostly happens in Riga. Okay. Okay. Cool. And when you talk about the counterculture wave, what what do you mean by that? Oh, in the beginning, yeah, yeah, we were the only one that were uh, that were brewing. Uh, like, okay, we actually didn't start with an IPA as as most craft breweries do. Like our our first IPA came, I think, in the second year. We started with all this crazy herbal shit, and uh, <laughs> and so we were like totally different from uh, from what you could buy in shops. We weren't available in any shop except our brew pub for the first three years. So the only way how to experience Labietz was to go to one small 48-square-meter pub in outskirts of the center of Riga. So it sounds pretty counterculture to me, like uh, right. when you could uh, get any beer anywhere almost, and then there is one beer that everyone said, wow, that was something amazing, except the next day, which was exactly opposite from amazing <laughs> yeah and uh, well you know like people that are used to filtered and uh, and uh, and pasture pasteurized and filtered beers uh, they will uh, you need some time to get your uh, your stomach and your on your uh, whole organism to to operate with uh, with such heavy brews like well any ale is more heavier than a lager so mm. 
yeah, that's so, the majority, and that's the majority of what drink what was drunk. Is is that the traditional beer, like a lager or a pilsner? Well, yes. In the unfortunately, the 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 home brewing was mostly killed in the Soviet times, mm-hmm. and uh, there are there are people in rural areas uh, making making beer. Uh, well, we. We actually found uh, two unique yeasts, like you know this uh, uh, this Norwegian guy who is hunting uh, farmhouse yeasts, uh, Lars Marius. I don't know uh, Sanders if you heard he Sanders released nodding. a book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He released uh, his book about uh, farmhouse brewing in Northern Europe, and uh, and uh, with it, while he was doing research, uh, we we helped him to find a couple of. Uh, unique yeasts in Latvia. So it was not completely dead. But you know the 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 reference beer for for all these home brewers was almost always a good 19th century second half lager. Because I remember we went also to Norway to one um, to one seminar and, and there was this Carlsberg guy who was uh, telling about how they recreated the 18 84 or it was 150 years or 130 years from the brewery or from the Carlsberg uh, laboratory or something like that. So they found an old bottle, uh, got the yeast, they found the um, barley of that time and flew it from New Zealand to, to uh, Denmark to have two harvests. Like they genetically went backwards and uh, like totally crazy. Like And then they made 500 bottles of it and uh, like the, they even used the glass from 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 the end of 19th century, and uh, right. they opened the bottle like it's a small like a small workshop like I don't know 15 20 people and they bring in four bottles and you've heard like for one and a half hour you've heard how much money they've poured into the bottle, <laughs> and then they pour this beer into glass. I drink and oh fuck, this sounds like a Latvian country lager. <laughs> so <laughs> and it was like well you know like a like a bit dirty lager, you know. Sometimes uh, lagers taste a bit dirty, like mm. especially when uh, when small. Yeah, yeah. When when smaller brewers do them, they taste a bit uh, dirty. So that was how it tasted. <laughs> Funny, yeah. but when you uh, were looking for the yeasts, uh, like old Latvian uh, farmhouse yeast, you you visited breweries then. Yes, home breweries. Uh, home breweries who kept well, a, like, a yeast going for yeah 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 like uh, one of the guys was actually uh, we invited him to the last matins where also Paul and Rick uh, attended. Mm-hmm. Uh, he makes uh, smoked raw beers. All right, nice. so he smokes his own. Uh, his uh, he grows his own barley and uh, and then he uh, malts it and uh, he. Uh, he, his kiln is basically the second story of his uh, of his uh, black sauna, and the black sauna, you know, like in a sauna, you would have a stove and it has uh, stones on it, mm-hmm. and the and then you feed the stove and the the stones heat up and then you drop water on the on the on the stones and uh, and it releases uh, vapor, and the black sauna is a bit different. It's like uh, you actually make the fire inside the stones and the, and there is no chimney so that the the smoke the smoke, smoke goes directly through the through the stones and up 
up through up up and away and then you put the malt at a certain height you make your sauna day like uh, in rural areas once in two weeks and that is also your malt kilning day <laughs> so yeah and, wow. and, and it was interesting that he was using uh, birch as a as a as a firewood which is strange because the birch is very full of tar like when when birch uh, when you when you burn birch firewood uh, it's always tar you never use it for uh, for smoking meats or smoking uh, fish for example you always use uh, uh, how do you call them well anyway a different type of of uh, fire pine no no not pine it's um, i think it's uh, ash no ash is uh, I'll look it up at a certain moment. I'll tell you. Well, it's a, it's a, as a firewood, it's rubbish. It's very okay. light and it doesn't have too much uh, warmth in it because mm-hmm. it's uh, not dense. It's like a, it's, it's usually a wood that you would, if you have uh, this type of wood, you just uh, chop it down and put some normal, uh, some normal trees in, instead of it. But it's good for, uh, for smoking stuff because it has very clean, uh, very clean uh, smoke with little tar. And that's, for example, the German uh, Raubier tradition is uh, in that way also interesting that uh, they use uh, mostly beech wood, which is uh, also a very uh, tarless smoke. And then, uh, and then in uh, in uh, Poland, I think, which also has uh, quite a ongoing tradition of, of smoked beers, uh, they also use uh, either either. Uh, Either beechwood or oak, or oak also, also, also yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it's always, uh, always a, always a piece of wood that will produce little, little tar in the smoke. Mm. So, how did you, how did you find this guy, this home brewer who was making these smoke beers? Well, uh, once in a year, there's a, there's a big gathering of craftsmen of Latvia. Okay. And in the Museum of Ethnography, it's like a, a huge uh, place outside, just outside Riga, where in the 1930s they gathered, uh, gathered uh, all like typical buildings of a Latvian farmstead, like to preserve them. Okay. So it's an open air museum, and uh, and then there come different craftsmen. There are usually beekeepers people that make traditional clothing you can buy best woolen socks in the world you can wow. get uh, leather knives smiths uh, like metal smiths uh, uh, amazing pottery uh, homemade cheese uh, pies done the traditional way well basically if you want to feel the latvian culture to the bone you just come in the first week of june to riga to that festival yeah and in that festival, uh, and they have a, you cannot just buy yourself in. You need. Um, Do you need like, to bring a craft then? If... Well, you need you need to bring your craft for evaluation. Oh really? Okay. Yes, and and we once we started, we knew we want to get there. We uh, we send the application. They said, okay, we know you. You're okay. You can come. And the next year, we had uh, launched our web page. And uh, they replied that we do not, uh, do not, uh, we can't, well, we don't. Uh, this, this, you guys you, look too official. Yeah, yeah, you have too good web page. Okay. 
Uh, okay, I thought that that was the thing. <laughs> and, and, uh, that it's we, too commercial. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. You you look like you've spent more than two hundred euros on your web page. That's not craft. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely not craft. What are you making? Web pages or a beer? After all, beside you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so, but we convinced that we are uh, we are still uh, very much okay. And, and Balmir Muj is always on that festivals, and they're quite quite more bigger than we are. And uh, but yeah, and anyway, it's uh, there. There are a couple of guys who make meads, and and you know these uh, northern wines with a lot of sugar and some berries. And and there, there I found uh, Dines Rakstinch who was uh, mm. brewing his beer. How how did you guys, you and Edgar's, how did you start and end up home brewing together then? And what was the influence? Was it going to festivals like this and and wanting to reproduce meads or? Was it in any reaction like the Oedipus story was to kind of seeing craft beer, American craft beer flavors? Where was the well, influence? Me and Edgar, we have never brewed together. No, that's the, that's the funny thing around us is that uh, for a very long time, uh, and we still do have uh, each of our uh, of Labiat's beers is uh, is signed. It's either mine or Edgar's. Yeah, and uh, I'm not too fond of his beers, and he, he doesn't drink too much of men, my beers. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and, and now, like with the limited releases series, where we go more into barrel aging and and wild beers and, and mixed fermentation, then we are kind of on the same page. But if we speak like regular brewing, we have a uh, like um, how do you say taste uh, taste uh, preferences. preferences? Yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. Uh, which uh, so so we have never brewed together. We we met met at uh, a homebrew gathering where mm-hmm. we were both uh, pretty pretty enthu- enthusiastic about them. Like Edgar wrote uh, wrote a book about homebrewing, like uh, the handbook of homebrewing in Latvian, because most of people at the time who who picked up homebrewing, there were just you know guys living in the countryside who would like to start to brew beer, and you know English was not there like. YouTube and English, that's, that was not uh, like their first or second or third uh, source of information. So It took Latvia a while to catch up, I guess. Then, yeah, yeah. Like, we have a look at the map. We are like the province of Europe, the, the Far East. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like, COVID came to us also later than it did to you. So It took a while to get all the way up there, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but I, I saw on your website, he, uh, Edgar's, it, uh, is still doing kind of homebrew videos. Was this? Was he doing homebrew videos when he we started out as well? No, this we this this one we actually did for um, like to bring the idea was that if we the it's uh, beneficial for us to bring more people into beer awareness as it is. Yeah. Like homebrewing is uh, like like I got into beer because of homebrewing. I didn't drink. Uh, I hadn't tried an IPA until I had done, I think, 50 homebrews. Mm-hmm. Like I, I went and I maybe intentionally, intentionally, so not to spoil my tastes. I, I was not tasting the, not touching Belgian styles until I had been homebrewing for a year or two. So, mm. so I don't get influenced too much from, from, you know, like. Because when you drink amazing beers, you don't think, oh, I would like to brew some unique taste. You think, I would like to brew something like this. Mm. And then you somehow lose your 
virginity before you understand what sex is about. <laughs> so that, and, well, I, I don't know if I explained this well, like it's like <laughs> probably not the best uh, comparison. I like that you attempted uh, an analogy there, but uh, it did quite work out. <laughs> But what 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 was it like when you first made an IPA? Then uh, was it good or was it bad? Uh, I've never made an IPA. Actually, you've never made one. No, Edgar's is pretty good at uh, at uh, balancing hop flavors and uh, and profiles. And uh, this is just well, I could do it. Uh, I could like train myself in doing it. But for me, it's easier to just uh, go and buy a good IPA, or mm-hmm. take one of our IPAs which we have exactly one. So mm-hmm. you know, from our 50 beers, we have one pale ale. Oh, no, two pale ales. Two mm-hmm. classic pale ales, one IPA, and one imperial IPA. And that's about as, as much classic as we go. Mm. And what's what's more popular with uh, people that come to your bars? Is it the more traditional uh, beer styles, or is it people that people want IPAs? Well, now that there are uh, more... Uh, more breweries getting into into the whole Latvian craft beer scene. Of course, the 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 double dry hopped uh, thing has uh, has double dry hop lactose berries. This is like the trend, I think, everywhere. And uh, and we also run run bars uh, that serve not only our beers, but uh, we kind of try to show them what is worth drinking and uh, what is good beer generally. So I think we have uh, brought some of Oedipus uh, beers for our bars to like a year or so ago. And uh, then we get some Scandinavian stuff. And uh, since, we, since we've been uh, uh, bouncing around different festivals and know the brewers and we can, you know, we, we know which breweries are, are worth, uh, worth, uh, worth showing. Mm. And uh, lately, the lately people are uh, the ones that are, that I would call the Latvian beer geek scene. The, those are uh, those are actually craving for the for the super hop profile, for the you know the muddy appearance. And uh, I think I think we have caught up with you now. Okay, in, so in, on these terms, yeah. Yeah, Even but, though it pains you a little bit that like the fans are following yes, the well, trends, uh, yeah. But then again, uh, we kind of feel ourselves uh, pretty immune against it because we have, uh, over the years, I think we have succeeded to make a crowd that drink labietis, not because uh, of uh, of uh, how it uh, positions itself among the world of craft beer, but they drink labietis because labietis is part of Latvian culture. I think that, uh, like, we have uh, in a way succeeded to to make a pure Latvian pub feeling, mm-hmm. like which is not which is not English, which is not Scandinavian, which is not you know Mediterranean. You, you can speak about um, about styles of pub, as you know. Like, you can always go into a pub and say, okay, this is a British Isle style pub. And then you go into a Scandinavian, you know, larger windows, maybe more aesthetic uh, mm-hmm. interior design, like uh, maybe more more attention to detail. And then there is the Mediterranean style where it's uh, always about crowd. It's always a bit more dirty, more people standing up, like 
TV in the corner, everybody shouting and then uh, super crappy beer and stuff like, well, <laughs> uh, like Mediterranean uh, pubs have a lot of good beer nowadays too, but there is always a feeling that you know that this pub is in a way one of these uh, big pub cultures or or Eastern yeah. Europe or... Uh, and, and Latvia didn't really have anything like that. And, uh, well, is that what you're uh, saying? Uh, well, we had uh, quite a lot of uh, good uh, Irish and British pubs. Yeah. In the old town, uh, then we had some, you know, on the verge of nightclub. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like, and then there, of course, are restaurants that turn into a into a place where people hang out for a little longer than just one drink after dinner. But like a pub where that serves nothing except beer. Mm. And no, has like have a lot that. of it. Yeah, yeah. And in, in that way, we were uh, we were the first in Latvia. Yeah, and I guess it's yeah you're doing something authentic, and it is also yeah, yeah really, and, that, really and that and that draws crowds. So, so we of course we and, and that's one of the reasons why we went into this uh, into this uh, idea of opening uh, bars that shows the craft beer culture as it uh, in all its diversity, not only our uh, super Latvian Nazi way of uh, seeing it, but uh, also showing all the double dry hop stuff, the imperial stouts, the barrel aging. And there are a lot of breweries in Latvia that uh, do super high quality uh, international styles like, uh, well, basically now we are speaking the the trend that uh, the Swedes uh, started with Omnipolo and, uh, and uh, Bruski and uh, well, you you Sanders know the scene, and you you should do if you are in the, in beer podcasts. So. Yeah, I know I know who you're talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, for yeah. sure. So, so this trend has uh, totally massacred the the seed. And, uh, yeah, and like uh, of, of course uh, there are. It's not that difficult to to load a lot of hops into a beer. Yeah, for sure. But uh, where's the talk? Tell me where the brewery is located. Then is that in? The a Riga, I guess. Then no, we uh, we actually this uh, this uh, this autumn we brewed our last beer in the in the brew pub. Okay, and we we sold our our welded equipment, and uh, now we are just uh, brewing in Adaj, which is about 20, 30 minutes drive north northeast from Riga. Okay. Okay. So it started with the brew pub, right? Yeah, yeah, it started with the brew pub, and then in the third year, we we wanted to enter supermarkets and uh, have some beer to, you know, decently export or give to other bars because we like we ran hundred percent capacity seven months a year in the brew pub, and well, that. <laughs> For some years, of course, you pat on your shoulder and oh yeah, cool! I've sold everything I make, but uh, I know you know the the feeling. <laughs> at at certain point, you think, okay, let's expand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we had uh, two breweries, two brewing lines for three or four years. Mm. One, the brew pub always brewed the beers that were on tap in the brew pub were always brewed there. And of course, there are differences from uh, from the brewing lines, and and uh, the brewery now uh, produces like uh, generally better made beers. Like nice. for the first time in our lives, we all of our beers are with um, fermentation temperature control, for example, and uh, you oh, know, wow. like basic, yeah, yeah, like basic <laughs> stuff like that. 
<laughs> hey, but the, the pub is still there. But the kids yeah, the pub is, is still there. Out. The broad, yeah, the, we uh, we got additional thirty square meters of pub nice. space. And, uh, Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so now we have a larger pub and uh, and a decent brewery and. Uh, but that must have. I know you said you wanted to expand, but it must have been the right time to expand, right? It must have grown in popularity, and it sounds like you've now got bars or you're involved in bars that are located all around Latvia. Would you say that craft beer is becoming a lot popular amongst locals? Yeah, like non non locals. Yeah, yeah. Is it is is it, is it is it yeah is it is it expanding beyond just people that were visiting the brew pub? Yeah, definitely. We yeah. do, you can like like the initial crowd uh, that came to the brew pub that were uh, you know it it for the last years it has uh, turned into a place where like how our bartenders called them the zeros are uh, are uh, uh, like coming around like the zeros are people who have been born after year 2000 Okay. So they're 18, 19, like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a like really young crowd. Yeah. And the guys that started that that built the lobby at this uh, scene with their uh, with their uh, presence, there you know, like 28, 35, like you know, people that have established their point of view and and mm-hmm. they go into into the into that bar and they understand that they are seriously outaged <laughs> okay so, yeah 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 so so in a way we we needed um, to get our beer available in other places so that uh, so that uh, the, those people can can get a hand on it so yeah is there, is there a what kind of people are these then are these just people is there a drinking culture like there is in the uk where people just want to get wasted or is it more refined drinking people enjoying a nice craft beer with food what, uh, who's drinking the beers? At this moment, uh, we of course have uh, have this, uh, as I told, uh, the pure Latvian pub where uh, people can evaluate that you have a, a 14 degree braggot uh, for five euros uh, for half liter. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's a pretty good price performance if you are 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And then there, of course, are people that uh, that uh, will take the small volume and uh, try to, mm. to to sip it in in the noise. Mm. Regarding food, I really cannot tell because uh, all the the good restaurants in Latvia, unfortunately, are still under under the the corporation spell. Okay, so you can't get your beer in the restaurants yet. Not really. And ah, if we shit. can't get, we will get uh, it in bottles. It will be not always on the main menu because, uh, well, the, they won't. They, it will be like on. It will be very difficult for a the bar, not the bartender, but the waiter will have to take an extra step to mm. actually offer our beer. Mm. And if you have, you know, like a, a regular big brewery lager on tap. Which is pretty typical for our restaurants. They they still think that uh, Northeast Europe should uh, should make their food around wine, which is I think not correct uh, at at, this, <laughs> at best. Uh, and uh, like they take all the length to get uh, uh, organic uh, organ. Well, all game is organic. Like, like they get um, Latvian game, they will get. Uh, 
Latvian uh, like reductions from Latvian plums and stuff mm. like that, and then they serve it with a industrial pilsner <laughs> oh. or, or or a shitty pilsner, yeah, like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's that's one of the things that, uh, that that we have not done yet. We have not uh, have not gotten to a point where where we can say that we can we have established ourselves in the in the food pairing and the and the restaurant and the high in uh, uh, fine dining. Uh, so, and our pubs, our pubs, like we know well, everyone uh, who makes beer knows how to cook, mm. but uh, we are not chefs. And uh, and uh, all our bars are bars. Mm. Like uh, we will go as far as uh, as uh, dried meats, cheeses, like basically only cold uh, cold snacks. We will never have a full-on restaurant because that's a totally different type of business. We know nothing about it. It is highly competitive, and and we have already um, created a bit of uh, you know. Uh, not on trust, but uh, mm. other uh, owners of bars are uh, are thinking twice be- before getting our beer mm. because we run kind of a, a, some bars ourselves. So basically, ah, okay. they're, they're paying their competitors. A turf war. Well, it's not a turf war, but you can understand, it's especially yeah, if I you're like uh, on, on the same block or something like that. Or uh, And like, like I said, we are not the only crowd brewery in Latvia. Yeah, I understand. I guess that's a little bit why um, where there's still a bit of work to do or catching up because it's not just fine dining restaurants that kind of here in Amsterdam that give a shit about serving craft beer, but it, it's all most restaurants have a dynamic or diverse uh, beer menu nowadays, and not just serving wine and craft beer. It's also kombuchas and artisan coffee and everything else uh, that comes with it as well. Yeah, but you have the luxury of living in a city. Yeah, for we sure. live in the woods. Yeah, like, <laughs> is, is, is Riga still in the woods? Is it? <laughs> well, Riga is a pretty green uh, city, but it's uh, you know it's like one million inhabitants in over a pretty large area, and uh, mm. like uh, restaurant and bar culture, you cannot compare uh, Western Europe to Eastern Europe. Like we've yeah. had like fifty years of uh, of of silence like mm. if you would go through riga during soviet times at 12 o'clock i might be wrong but there could be a curfew like wow. all of the time so yeah that's... <laughs> so it's, it's it's a bit different we are the, at the at the at the when we compare uh, how we uh, the, uh, the traditions of having fun we have mm. a lot to catch up Mm. Yeah, I guess that's why I find it fascinating. And and like all these points might seem quite mundane to you, but they're actually fascinating just because I have quite a, uh, a, yeah, a, a, a naive view of what Latvian culture is like. And um, that's why that's why I want to discuss more about it. But you, you spoke a lot about local and it seems like there is a, still a big education process to go through and it seems like you're doing a lot. But how is it when you come into Europe and you come to places like Borefs and uh, are you concentrating on trying to get your beers in more European places or even further afield? Well, we have this, um, uh, we've had uh, for quite a while, uh, uh, the the basis of our uh, business philosophy has been to 
stand strong on our home market and to expand afterwards or, or abroad. And now we are at the point when we are seeing that uh, sales are sales growth are is slowing down in mm-hmm. our home market. So now we are starting to consider like the first 500 kilometers around uh, Latvia, our home market. So basically it's Lithuania, Estonia, perhaps a bit of Scandinavia. Poland is difficult. Russia is like because of all the customs and, and Mr. Putin, it's like super difficult. Plus the beer is super cheap, you know, like there are a lot of decent breweries in Russia and uh, and the prices they make beer for it. So they have very strange, uh, very strange uh, uh, tax laws. Mm. Like most of them don't pay taxes at all. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, R- Russia is funny in that way. It's uh, it's like a country where only uh, where only uh, large corporations are taxed, and as long as you are reasonably small, no one actually bothers because the 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 amount they can get in taxes from you is so minuscule compared to mm. to what is what they can get from a state uh, state mm. owned or or partly state owned company is mm. like not worth uh, like the hassle, uh, the, the hassle yeah so. which sounds pretty good but then you got to put up with the rest of the stuff that you have to put up with with living in russia mainly well, what mr putin puts in well it, it it might not be as bad for me as it is for you but uh, <laughs> but it's still yeah it is it is an interesting country yeah yeah for sure Hey, let's let's. What beer would you like us to drink next? I'm uh, uh, yeah, I'm keen to try another the, one with a, with a lager, with a bock, with a chestnut bock, the Ferdinand. Hey, but okay. about the first one, still one question because I yeah. found it. Uh, there's this honey buckwheat kind of deep, really ripe uh, character to it. There's there's no honey uh, or no uh, other just, grains involved. No, just wheat and barley. Wow. Yeah. Super and I think the, mm. the the buckwheatish thing might be meadows wheat. It oh, has yeah. a if you there's a lot of meadows wheat uh, out of your brewery too. I think uh, if you pick it in your hands, like it's like mid late July, maybe, mm. maybe earlier in your place, uh, then you will it will get a honey like uh, it, it. They don't call it meadows wheat for no reason. Because mm-hmm. it's men uh, make mead sweet. It sweetens the mead. It has a uh, sweet smell. Yeah. Yes. I definitely get that. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's probably that. I'm not too familiar with it, uh, to be honest. But uh, another thing that we have, I think, successfully done is uh, that we've attracted to beer people that would have never drank beer. They would have never started right. with an IPA. So they come into this brew pub. And they get this stuff, they get some meads, they like, at the very start, we understood that we want to address uh, address uh, ladies. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah well, uh, imagine, would you like to go to a pub where there are only guys? Yeah. Well, oh, well I don't know about the orientation. <laughs> no, 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 I, no. <laughs> but no, uh, I'm 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 way more up for the diverse pub. That would yeah, be fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 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 you need to to 
you cannot have a pub that serves only IPAs or Imperial Stouts. You would yeah. get only beer geeks in there. That yeah. that's not a good pub atmosphere. That's not the way how a pub should uh, should be working. So yeah. So you thought you tried to address that straight away? We, yeah, like yeah. In Latvia, is, we've got to we've got to start from the start yeah, having yeah, women we've got in to there. bring women in. We yeah. got to bring women into beer if we want to make beer into something. And how did it go? How how what's the kind of ratio in the in the brew pub or in the bars? Uh, since uh, you are not allowed to fly over here, I can tell you it's about 70 women, 30 men. Oh, right. Okay. So, yeah, shit. So that would be an, adver- <laughs> that would be an advertisement, but unfortunately I can't fly to Latvia right now. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, a Bok beer to me is uh, maybe something that means quite different because you just said let's do Ferdinand's, which is a lager, right? Or what's your definition of it's a Bok a- beer? Uh, well, a bock is a lager. It's like uh, if a uh, strong version of an IPA is imperial IPA in the world of yeah. lagers. If you if you talk uh, terminology, then a strong version of any lager is a bock. Okay, okay. Like okay. basically not not lager tradition. It's actually German tradition because there is Weissbier and there's Weissenbock, which is a stronger version of the Weissen. Mm. And then there is a lager and there's a Bock or a doppel bock or a or a ice bock or whatever. So course, basically, yeah. this is a strong, strong amber lager that has been uh, aged on uh, chestnut chips. It's lovely caramel uh, flavors to this. It's delicious. Yeah, this, this is um, this is actually our uh, our first step in flirting with lagers. We were. Uh, Kind of avoiding it for many years in the beginning uh, because of uh, the rudimentary equipment because we didn't have temperature control in our brewery mm-hmm. and uh, all, well in the brew pub all our beers were uh, basically uh, cooled to 13 degrees and then uh, whatever they do we cannot actually change anything and that's not too good for lager as Sanders knows it. And, and then he, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so once we had the opportunity, we of course started uh, started to play around with different experiments. And uh, and um, one thing we understood that there's actually very the 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 market is very empty for a for a good strong lager, like a bock. Like of course, Latvia is full of uh, of imperial lagers, how we call them ourselves. It's like a two liter plastic bottle with eight uh, percent lager that you can buy under two euros in a shop. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but that's like uh, that's like the cheapest uh, way to get drunk in Latvia. Are they the ones that are served in the plastic soda bottles? Did you say? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Two liters but- usually. Yeah, the and kings, the, kings the, of the bottom shelves. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, and if you want, like, uh, still a bit of a kick, but you don't want to be associated with the lower shelves, you know, like <laughs> that, that you are actually in an empty market. Yeah. And then we uh, we had um, uh, a good friend of ours uh, who is also has a small brewery, and but he's he does a lot of stuff, uh, and among other things, he's working in a in a timber institute. So okay. he's a scientist, and uh, he was fiddling around with uh, 
with curing um, different wood chips uh, at uh, negative uh, pressure at high temperature to get I I don't I don't want to get into the terminology because I number one I don't remember it properly and number two I don't understand half of it. Yeah, you uh, probably more than me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I could I could uh, I could uh, play very clever in front of you and maybe of Sanders, but uh, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, he gave us uh, quite a lot of different chips like oak, chestnut, cherry tree, apple tree, and. Uh, and uh, Sanders listened to me. This is amazing stuff. Like if you rest a saison on a apple apple tree chips, for example, you will get apple notes from it. Like the tree amazing. will get out the like cherry tree. We made a non-alcoholic mead on cherry chips, and it actually tasted like cherries. <clears throat> well, wow, and, beautiful. Okay, but uh, this is a bit forward already regarding Ferdinand's. So, so we knew we wanted to make a bit uh, a stronger lager and uh, one of our initial experiments just uh, fermented a bit deeper than we had expected like we wanted to have it a fuller mouth feel so we kind of uh, mashed at higher temperatures the usual stuff you would do with an ale but uh, lager just didn't work that way and it uh, it uh, came out six something anyway and so we just, uh, for the fun of it, rested it on uh, on chips. And that was a game changer. It softened it uh, up quite a lot. And, you know, like a regular lager in its heyday, the, the time when uh, when lager went all over the world, and we are speaking like mid-19th century, before stainless steel, actually, uh, all the lagers were uh, were aged in the wooden barrels. So they would have picked up some, uh, some, uh, wooden, uh, some timber notes anyway, so... So this, in a way, is a, is a super authentic. Yeah, probably it's probably the closest. Well, it's not the closest we could do closer, but uh, but the idea was to make a lager that actually takes tastes like uh, like the classic Bavarian lagers might have tasted back in the back before. Uh, at the time when they, you know, they one year in Bavaria there was um, so little ice for the ice cellars uh, before uh, before they knew how to make a conditioner. Mm. There was so little ice that they shipped uh, eleven or twelve um, train loads, like each train consisting of uh, very many uh, wagons. They imported ice so they can make beer in Bavaria from Poland, from northern Poland. They just were bringing uh, wagons and wagons of ice over the railroad in the beginning of the like 1830, 1835, something like that. Mm. That was the time when they were digging those and it was full of ice and full of uh, wooden barrels. And that's how the lager is originally made. It's a beer that is taken deep underground and it has been matured for at least three or four months. So Mm -hmm. this... Yeah, and like, of course, Carlsberg got, went all over this and like make, made the process shorter with the, with, with the help of science. But uh, basically, a lager is an old beer that has been aged in wood. Mm. So, and um, yeah, and, uh, and I think this is a, this is a decent example of, uh, of how a lager can be. Like, it's, yeah. it's not like when you drink this, lager is not the first thing that comes into mind. But it's delicious. It's still got the same crispness and lightness that the lager yeah, has like as well. Six and a half or mm. <laughs> ABV. Mm. Kind of surprised by the the 
the chestnut character. I always thought I understood that chestnut barrels are also pretty neutral in taste. And the, you can use them for also mixed fermentation and have it as a secondary fermentation vessel or lagering vessel. You can age beers on chestnut. But these are just the chips, maybe more service contact. Or is there also a treatment in these uh, or a certain uh, uh, type of chestnut that is more ar- produces more aromatic wood? or No, you know, like uh, we were out of chestnut trees. And it has to be, before it goes into the kiln, it has to be dried out for at least a month. The, the, it has to get the humidity down uh, to a certain level be- before it goes into the kiln. Okay. And uh, we just, uh, I phoned around friends and, uh, well, in Latvia, you always know someone in the countryside who has just a freshly fallen chestnut tree because it cannot be too really? old. It, 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 <laughs> well, come on. Like, I'm really? sorry, but that is yeah, such yeah, a far that, cry away from where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, that's why I'm telling you, you live in a city. We live in the countryside. I might be from Riga, but it's basically a countryside. Like, uh, you, you scratch every Latvian a bit and you'll find a rural person underneath. So, wow. yeah, so, so we found uh, the chestnut tree, which was, I don't know, maybe... Uh, a month old from it it had the the storm had broken it so basically the idea is that uh, the the type of chestnut tree is not not the, the issue here i think it's the treatment the, right. the pressures in the kiln and uh, the guy he initially he and he still mostly makes the chips for for guys who who use it for destillates okay yeah, so he treats it with the purpose of getting most of the flavor out. Yes, yes, uh, exactly. And uh, super interesting, really interesting. Because I've used also some different types of wood chips before, but always was underwhelmed with the results. But this is as if there were actual chestnuts in yeah, the air. Yeah. You know, it's really like, like this is actually the I've never eaten chestnut tree or or chest. I know that in in more southerly countries you eat, do eat chestnuts, but those are different types of chestnuts. We cannot eat our chestnut tree. Okay. No. And uh, but this actually does smells like sweetishly chestnut, like when the chestnut blossoms, you know, with that uh, with that fir tree like fir tree like uh, flower, like uh, it has something of that. And yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and the chestnuts go well with um, you know the the first uh, beer gardens they were under chestnut trees because chestnut has very big leaves and the beer garden is above the cellar, so the 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 ground above the cellar doesn't heat up that much plus uh, when you told about chestnut barrels one of the reasons they were using them was uh, was it was cheaper than oak yeah uh, and the problem with chestnut barrels is that you cannot move them a lot they're not good for transport but if you keep them in one spot that's a cost efficient way of of uh, substituting uh, oak so basically right. if you are a brewer if you have a fermentation vessel or a, or a lagering vessel, then it could be chestnut. I don't know. It's like, a, you know, that history is very... They didn't take that much notes as we do nowadays, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Every homebrewer learns nowadays to take yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, rule number one. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, the Festival of Midsummer. Because you've, you've talked a little bit about Latvian culture and... Yeah, I feel like you were talking about if you scratch a Latvian, uh, you'll find someone that uh, knows someone who uh, knows about chestnut trees. 
And I, I wanted to try and make some connection here between your beers having this connection to nature and having the names having this mystical feel. Uh, can you talk to me about what this festival of, of midsummer is? Because that's all about celebrating nature and and the sun and the, and the world around you, right? Yeah, it's um, you have to be in the, like like the, like you have to sit around the fireplace and keep a fire going from uh, from uh, from sundown to sunrise. Okay. The idea is that that is the shortest night, and you are helping the sun to to uh, shed more of its power into and soak it up and then there's the other idea is of soaking up the power of the sun in during that time so so you all the time you have to be either in sun and and that's easiest done when you are uh, in nature yeah so um and the the the, the fun thing about uh, weather during that time in Latvia it usually rains so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it makes it really hard much harder to celebrate this yeah so so we kind of compensate it with a lot of alcohol okay and um, and that kind of brings the sun out and then of course this is the um, the it's a festival of fertility because uh, because uh, nature is in, in its highest point like if you will be collecting flowers the flowers collected at the time when the sun shines most on them are have the, most of the energy of the sun in them so yeah. so that's a good time to harvest quite a lot of uh, medicinal herbs in latvia mm -hmm. some of them of course bloom later but a lot can be harvested at that time and uh, there are a lot of Latvians that have been born in the uh, end of March. So. Is there a big baby boom around that time? Yeah, like it's, uh, I think third of my friends are born in the end of March. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so well, no, I'm just kidding. Not, not, probably not that many. But yeah, it's like a, um, in Latvian, it's called Jāņ. And, uh, and then uh, for everyone that is born beginning with like, first days of march till end of march you're just called oh yanya burns like the son of yeah uh, actually i've never thought about it. it's like uh, it's like in christianity that uh that uh like there is this huge festival kind of where uh, mary was and then she came up with a baby which was Christmas? called Jesus, yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah kind of. Yeah, okay, okay, but you okay, know, yeah. like son of God, son like Jan, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Jan is also like a deity. He's he's the one who brings the sun, who accompanies the sun in the while it goes through the highest point over the horizon. So, mm. but yeah, how, so how does how does this kind of influence Latvian culture? I, I will bring it back to beer at some point. Is it, is it just very typical to have this connection to the outdoors? Mm, I think Latvians are spending a lot of time outdoors, also without uh, Jāņi. But uh, but during Jāņi, you will you will go to your countryside and or to a countryside of your friends. Like that, Riga will be empty. There will be only Russians in Riga. Oh yeah, yeah. Which there are a lot of them, of course, and but it's there. Uh, it's the only actually celebration uh, that everyone in Latvia loves to celebrate. Mm. Like it's it's so understandable. You go to the nature, make a fireplace, cook some meat, drink beer, make love. Like how difficult could that? What, 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 it's as what simple is, as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why is and the plus, whole world doing that? <laughs> yeah, well, that's my question. Well, probably you're doing it all the time. We just have one day of the year for it. Yeah, yeah. Do you spend much time in the countryside looking for uh, ingredients and things that, for, for beer making? I've, um, I've spent uh, quite a lot of time uh, going through forests and meadows and sniffing and tasting uh, stuff that probably shouldn't be sniffed and tasted. Uh, but nowadays I, um, well, basically I know how Latvia tastes. So okay. If, if I, <laughs> I know most of the names of the plants and, uh, the main thing I know, which are poisonous and not, and, uh, and, uh, for most of the times I can tell you which will do what thing, uh, in terms of healing for your body. But, uh, uh, so, so I don't need to like, uh, get back to it. And I approximately remember how it tastes. And if I need it in some of our mm. brews, uh, then I just remember it. So, mm. but, uh, like going and, and sniffing nature is just one way how to experience it. So. And what are you, what are some of your favorite or what flavors that are very typical Latvian that inspire you most, or you just enjoy working with the most? Well, uh, uh, a wet forest uh, in uh, mid-August uh, when the when the the mushrooms start to come out, uh, that's an amazing smell. Like uh, early early autumn smell of the of the pine forest. Then, uh, of course, uh, beaches smell amazing. It's like mm-hmm. uh, always the salty wind and. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and the kind of the desert desertedness of the place. So then, rivers are uh, rivers have this. Uh, how do you call it uh, when you like the algae, like uh, so sweet water algae? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an amazing smell and taste also. But you cannot get that out of the beer. It's uh, impossible. I was asking you about the countryside of Riga. How do you develop new re- new recipes? Do, do you yeah well uh, lately lately the new recipes uh, like uh, I don't know if uh, it's the same with Sanders uh, but uh, for us uh, me and Edgars uh, we have uh, went into the dry side of beers we are not so excited about uh, juicy stuff anymore and uh, like now the thing that is excites us actually is uh, Wild, well, it has always excited uh, anyone, but uh, the things where we try to to grow more is uh, is the, the spontaneous fermentation, mixed fermentation, drier beers, like maybe not that much, uh, like uh, not that much sweetness and uh, and uh, final gravity as uh, as the the initial beers that we are making. Actually, like uh, like Pljava, I wouldn't make a recipe like this nowadays. It's like mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't interest me that much anymore. So, uh, is it is it uh, on purpose that you only focus on that now after maybe trying out uh, or exploring different areas of beer uh, or the beer palette uh, uh, before and 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 sort of understand it maybe and 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 only then you can take that step. Yeah, it could be that uh, that you have to grow out of the sweet stage. Like you remember when you were a kid, sweet sugar was the best thing in your life, and and then with time you kind of okay, but this like also tastes 
fine. Like there are there is stuff that that you don't eat when you are a kid, like onions, chili peppers, uh, like uh, well. You know, there is a, each kid has his own thing that he doesn't eat until he's grown up, and it probably is the same with beers that you you don't uh, you actually don't fully understand them or or you don't have the time to actually wobble it enough through your mouth and mind to to get to it and uh, and we had this uh, this uh, opportunity to. To, uh, to like make a cool ship so we just made a cool ship and start started experimenting with it mm. and uh, and we had some uh, some beers uh, like you know beers that had uh, caught some infection on the way that we had uh, kept for a while and see how it goes and uh, and you know like uh, with time you understand that uh, the brewer is just a uh, He's not always meant to be in control of everything. Sometimes time and uh, time and nature will do better job than you might have imagined. Mm-hmm. You just need the, the space to let it do its work. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's going back to the uh, wild fermented stuff. Is it maybe a nice opportunity to drink the final beer you sent us? Yeah, over, which is a barrel age. Yeah, yeah, let's pop the. So and this will be, I think, uh, some of the countries consider this very poisonous. Yeah, you're going to have to give me a bit of a, a crash course in what Braga is. I, I, I something I know has is made with mead, uh, but I really don't know that much about it. I know it's something that was really popular in England. It's probably one of the oldest fermented drinks uh, no, the, uh, that have existed, is, right? Yeah, in in English language. Uh, a braggart is uh, when you use both honey and uh, cereals for as a source of sugars. Okay. So anything that will have a teaspoon of uh, of honey in it can technically be called a braggart. Okay. Uh, but this this one is uh, fermented down to a bone, so there will be a very little honey in it. And, okay. Uh, we got some uh, lacto-infected barrels. Uh, were which went a bit sourish unintended and we kept uh, we just forgot it for about a year this is one of the serendipities of our our uh, beers and after that we uh, it was still un- un- well next undrinkable un- uh, close to undrinkability uh, and it still is actually I want to see your faces when you taste it and uh, sour <laughs> Yeah, but um, uh, and then we we played around with the idea of adding berries, uh, but we knew that we don't want uh, and no, we don't want berries that will add extra sourness. So we needed mm. berries with that have very strong taste besides sugar and sourness, because all sugar will be killed anyway. Fermented. And so uh, it was uh, the season of uh, Viburnum berries. I don't know how it's called in in Dutch or proper English. I know only the, you know, they have this seed inside that is shaped as a small heart. And uh, and there are also some uh, historical uh, historical references of this berry used in brewing in Latvia, like uh, in the late 16th uh, century. There was a girl that was burned that she had made a Viburnum berry beer and uh, put a spell on on two uh, neighbors. So she was burned as a witch. Wow. Yeah. So um, 
and uh, and the uh, and the the taste profile of the viburnum berry it's uh, it's it's unedible until the first frost and after the first frost it gets uh, you know like a bit uh, uh meatier because mm-hmm. it has uh, it has frozen and also a lot sweeter and it, mm-hmm. it develops a totally different taste profile actually wow. so yeah so we put these berries quite a lot of them actually we gathered them. we have our own uh, uh, gypsy community that pick our our uh, forest herbs so they picked these ones also for us and um, then we laid these uh, on additional chips to soften it up so we went actually extra length to make it as unsour as possible and uh, for a while uh, we were not sure to release it but then at one we gave it uh, to our like a closer crew and they said, "Oh yeah, wow! This is for sour people. You know, people that uh, that like sour uh, sour beers. It's uh, it's uh, the Viburnum berries give a very unique, uh, like um, even grapefruity uh, bitterness to the like. Mm. Uh, you know, like if you give a uh, not too good grapefruit to a kid, mm. he looks at you and thinks, "Why are you doing this to me?" And then there <laughs> are people that eat grapefruits and like, "Wow, this is super tasty." And this has uh, some of the of the same, uh, like the magical sweet bitter uh, thing that um, it, it tastes. Also a has wrong. a bit bit of yogurt going on as well with the lactose. It's yeah, and uh, and uh, this nice. uh, it uh, tastes a bit wrong to drink, like. You know the sometimes when you, especially for me, probably a bit more often than for you, when you drink some uh, herbal stuff, you think, "Am I really meant to drink this? Is this safe?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> Alarm bells are going off. Yeah, 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 yeah. With, uh, certain amounts of bitterness or sourness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really sour, but I also when it first opened it, and still when I smell it now, I uh, it reminds me a bit of seabuckthorn uh, berries, which can also be super yeah. sharp acidity but also have these uh earthy or this sort of grapefruit like yeah. uh, yeah. notes to it i uh i find it really interesting that that earthy woody layer but also the bright berry character that's uh, definitely in there yeah and the and the bracket initially it had the uh, it had uh, three three forest herbs. It had bog myrtle, it had pine shoots, and it had uh, wild rosemary. Oh yeah. Mm. And uh, originally it had. And in the aftertaste, you you should probably feel a bit of honey notes too, because mm-hmm. somewhere yeah. deep in the when the all the sourness settles, and that actually doesn't take that much time. It, no. uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of is the first boom, and then it's, it a, it's an instant the... thing, really. The sourness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I did have like one final question because I think of all the brewers who I've spoke to, and most of them have been ones that are closer to home in the Netherlands. But do you have like an ideal situation for how you would like to operate as a brewery? Like I know Sander and Oedipus had plans to kind of operate as a as a farm. Is this a situation that where you would like to have as a brewer, where you just fully grow uh, everything that you produce and have a fully three hundred and sixty degree brewery, or are you already pretty close to that anyway? Just using the wealth of what Latvia's got. Uh, well, I think this uh, this farmstead uh, brewery. Uh, 
I I assume that it's situated in an old mill, is it? Well, I, I, it's, it's still. Uh, is, is the ideal brewery situated in an old uh, water mill? Uh, that's uh, that's all played out here in the Netherlands. Yeah, <laughs> the mill game is uh, over. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we just. Uh, uh, well, not we, but uh, I, I had a look at one um, one uh, real estate, uh, like it was super cheap, like an old mill, 150 kilometers from Riga, uh, with a water drop of 10 meters. And, uh, oh, wow. Like, uh, no, beautiful. Yeah, like, yeah, like 20,000 20, euros for an old house under a roof and some land around it. But uh, but since we sold our old brew pub uh, line, uh, we have dropped this idea entirely. Like mm. uh, we had the idea that we all use the old brew line and make up a farmstead with a sound and where you can actually live without electricity for a couple of days and brew it all the way. And, uh, and you know, like, your own malt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably grow your own malt. Yeah. But uh, and kill it in the sauna. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All, all the way, like a uh, proper craftsmanship. Purist. Yeah. 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 Proper craftsmanship. Not, not this guy who no just gets his hops from New Zealand malt from, uh, <laughs> yeah. From uh, Belgium and uh, yeast from from uh, Holland, and then he calls himself Latvian craft brewer. <laughs> That's, mm. but yeah, um, at this moment I am actually pretty happy on the way how we operate, and now I know that uh, Edgar also is pretty happy about it because we can do like the breweries in a way in a in, out of Riga. It's uh, like uh, there's a forest on one side and. Uh, and some uh, some fields on the other side, so it's a uh, it's not far from Riga. We have uh, places where we can do our cultural things because one thing is like, and and actually we have probably felt it from the very start. And I know that you are Oedipus guys. You also had a, a pretty lively bar, so in a way that uh, the idea of doing it all in the country, you, you don't want to do it for yourself. You would you you would have been stuck with homebrewing if you would have wished to do it with yourself. Uh, you want to share all the the products of of your doing, and in that way, for sharing a culture, of course, uh, city is the best place to do it. You can uh, come into the city stenching of uh, cow shit. Mm. And uh, and still you can bring the, the your rural culture into the city. So you need a place in the city. So or numerous places, as in uh, as in our situation, we have like now. Well, one hasn't been working since November, but anyway, it's like three in Riga and one in Liepāja, and we'll probably open another one on on a small place on west coast, like where uh, the surfers and windsurfers and sailors gather. So. For us, we are pretty much operating our uh, our uh, how we want it to be. Like we 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 haven't had any obstacles to do it other ways, but we have chosen this one. So this should be the way that we have uh, wished for. Mm -hmm. Nice. Like how 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 can you operate a full scale brewery and and dream of a farmstead? Like why aren't you doing the farmstead now, Sander? Why why? Well. <clears throat> Finding the, right spin it back. <laughs> uh, finding the right location is one, uh, indeed. Also, because when we started talking about this, I think we had this um, this idea, okay, it has to be 45 minutes cycling from Central Station, max. <laughs> so we have this So radius, this, this cuts radi Latvia at all. <laughs> the, 
Nou ja, but you, uh, you've been in Amsterdam, but yeah. uh, you, you'll be surprised how quickly, like, I think from a lot of places in Amsterdam with 50, 20 minute cycle, you're in a rural environment where there are more cows than people. Um, and so it is possible, but finding that right spot, uh, also we were under a bit of time pressure because we had to move out of our current space. Uh, and, um, yeah, the, we want to keep the brewery going and not yeah, shut okay. it down and wait for the right uh, location to come up. So there, there's a practical side involved. Um, but I think very much with this, it's, it's, it's more, I agree with you. That's more, uh, maybe a, a philosophy than an actual physical place. If we want to show that, okay, we, we work with locally grown hops or berries or grains, uh, we can do that. You know, we can just get a plot of land next to the brewery, uh, wherever it's located. We have some seating area outside. We can <laughs> plant shit there and work with it and brew with it or cook with it or do anything with it to showcase uh, um, a way yeah, come on. And nowadays uh, of, of, of you can producing just, beer. And nowadays, you know, I think that... <clears throat> you shouldn't be doing actually everything on your own it's like you you can have uh, you can have uh, comrades in arms like you can have a and sharing yeah, yeah. yeah you can have a beekeeper you can go and uh, make a, a full on 20 minute documentary that will that uh, shows where the honey from your braggots comes from and uh, and uh, you and Well, in case of bees, it's not easy. It's no, like sure. <laughs> like uh, no, bee, bee, uh, beekeeping is is not easy. Like uh, and uh, and growing barley or wheat, it's not mm. easy either. And, and I'm not sure I want to spend the rest of my life perfecting the 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 craft of I don't know. Uh, and and some of the herbs we use, they they won't grow in. Like a bog myrtle, it needs a, a nitrogen-rich uh, bog, which is yeah. almost impossible to recreate in in in, uh, in agriculture. Like uh, blueberries, uh, I bought today blueberries from Spain. Uh, they were as big as my eyeball. Blueberries, wow. you know these. Uh, yeah. Well. Well, we call them bush blueberries. I don't know. It's a different name. It's not like the same, the small, intense, uh, mossy blueberry from the from the forest. And uh, and you cannot like uh, in our case, uh, very many ingredients are not possible to grow agriculturally. They are just uh, you need then you need like a well probably my grandson. Like uh, I would start a place and you know like the. Like the samurai, uh, the samurai art of of uh, the bow and arrow, where they where they are riding a horse and they and they shoot at the at the uh, with a bow. Yeah. And the bow, it's uh, the bow. Uh, the the master of the bow that makes the bows is uh, using the material that his grandfather has chopped down and left to to dry in the perfect humidity. So it's the same with, uh, with uh, you know, when you look at the, at the mansions, I don't know, in Eastern Europe, there are a lot of mansions that have been abandoned and look, and look horribly nowadays. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And there are always these large parks around them. And they have actually, they've been, uh, they've been planted in the 19th century, most of them. And they actually only now look like they should look. Well, if you would clean them up, of course. Mm-hmm. The house has already, it's already, it's, it's all this permaculture. It's a very long process. And uh, uh, I, I really feel already a bit too old to, uh, to enjoy the fruits of my own labor. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of crossed the whole idea about this farmstead uh, as a place for a brewery and a place to show because I cannot manage. I'll be 75 and before there will be something to show. Right. And I will, yeah. will have lost most of like most of my rest of basically rest of my active life <laughs> mm-hmm. just to make something I, I cannot uh, share to anyone. So that's, and well, that's, uh, yeah, that's, a no, so, pessimistic, so, that's a pessimistic note too. <laughs> no, I, I actually think it's quite a positive one. Cause it's like, uh, you just play a role of trying to communicate those stories of beekeepers or people who, uh, who actually be- do it already. Yeah, who actually have, yeah. have dedicated yeah. life and yeah. tradition and, and different things like this generation of things that are passed on, you know, they, yeah. they, why not just help communicate those stories? Uh, the same as these uh, gypsy people you were mentioning who forage your berries for you. It's like they, they know how to do it. You know how to brew so you're just helping them uh, communicate their story. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's a mutually beneficial cooperation. Thanks for listening to this week's Radio Oedipus. To find out more about Labietis, head to their social media and website by searching labietis.lv. A special thanks goes to Reynis and also to Sander. To keep up to date, head to our website, which is audipus.com forward slash radio, and you can find all previous episodes of the show by searching Radio Oedipus wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in next time for more adventures into the culture of beer. 